Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Back to school. Classes back in session across America. At the University of Notre Dame, a special anniversary presents an opportunity to uplift pro-life women on campus and give them a voice. We speak to Kylie Gallegos, president of Notre Dame Right to Life, about what the year 1972 signifies for the Fighting Irish and their legacy of defending life. Learning in the Home, a new program assists parents in educating children about life and human sexuality from a Catholic viewpoint. Lindsay Karen of the TOB Parent School tells us more. Education for Life, the John Paul II Life Center in Austin, Texas, not only helps moms choose life for their babies, but provides classes to show children the reality of life in the womb. Founders Pat and Tim Von Dolan share their inspiring story. Pro-life students at the University of Notre Dame have launched a new campaign to kick off the school year that's aimed at raising awareness about the right to life and lifting up row-free women. Notre Dame Right to Life is both the oldest and the largest pro-life student group in the nation. Through prayer, service, and education, the group promotes life both on and off campus. Their new campaign centers around the year 1972, the first year women were allowed to attend Notre Dame, the last year before the Supreme Court legalized abortion nationwide, and the year the pro-life group was founded. Kylie Gallego, senior at Notre Dame and president of Notre Dame Right to Life, joins us now to discuss this new initiative. Kylie, thanks for being here. First, tell us about Notre Dame Right to Life. How big is the group and, and what's your presence like on campus right now? Yeah, thanks for having me, Prudence. I love getting a chance to brag on Notre Dame Right to Life. Like you said, we're the biggest student pro-life student group in the nation. We're also the biggest student-led club on campus, which most people would find super surprising about Notre Dame. But I think if you knew the thriving Catholic community here, it wouldn't be surprising at all. Mm. In the past years, we've brought anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people to the March for Life. And right now we're sitting at about 600 student members. And in the last week, we've gotten about 250 new freshmen, which is pretty inspiring. Yeah. And yeah, as for our presence on campus, we see it in kind of two different camps. So one of those is being this like love and welcoming presence on campus where any pregnant student would feel totally comfortable coming to us and knowing that she would be supported, but then also representing the pro-life movement well and through our three pillars of prayer, service, and education, making sure that no student leaves Notre Dame without at least coming into contact with the pro-life movement and learning a little bit more about the truth of the goodness of life. Mm, that's wonderful. And Kylie, what inspired this new 1972 initiative? We hear that it all started with a baseball cap. Yeah, it did. So last semester, I walked into my dorm and I saw these mountains of boxes with 1972 hats in them. And for me, knowing the pro-life movement fairly well, I'd seen the 1972 symbol used before in pro-life stuff. So there's this um, this pro-life apparel company, I guess you could say. It's 1972 COL for Culture of Life. And so that's how I immediately associated the number with the pro-life movement. And yeah, the more I reflected on it and kind of realized like the implications of this symbol that I was seeing like 20 women a day at least wearing these hats. They were the most popular piece of apparel on campus. There's all these women wearing this symbol 
And it was the first year that we were no longer under row. And so back in 1972, we were also not under row. So it seemed very providential that every woman undergraduate student at Notre Dame was given this hat, these hats. And it was almost like we were going out in solidarity with each other as we ventured into this new world. And that was accompanied by a lot of fear of women who saw like abortion not being accessible as something to be afraid of and something that they didn't know they could do, especially at Notre Dame where you have all these academic pressures, pressures to do well, to succeed, and to make sure you use your degree well. So we wanted to make sure and present this 1972 symbol as this pro-woman, pro-child, pro-Notre Dame woman. That's that's really beautiful. And Kylie, you alluded to this a bit. We've reported before on instances of some groups on your campus actively promoting abortion. How big is their footprint at the school and how are you counteracting their efforts with the Right to Life group? Yeah, so, I mean, these are the kind of things that you see blow up because Notre Dame shouldn't be having anything to do with abortion, shouldn't be promoting abortion in any capacity on our campus. But there are, of course, those people who don't like how prevalent the pro-life movement is within um, our faculty, staff, and students. And so they do things like try to promote contraceptives and that sort of thing. But for every one poster you would see on a student's door or something like that, you're going to see many, many more pregnancy resources coming out of the university itself and from our group. And we have institutional support for life. And so it's, I mean, they're, they're here, but we don't really pay attention to them. (laughs) Well, it's great to get that inside perspective on that. Kylie Gallegos of Notre Dame Right to Life, thanks so much for joining us today and for sharing about this initiative. Keep up the good work on your campus. Thank you. Students are not the only ones gearing up for school this year. A fairly new curriculum is helping Catholic parents rediscover their role as the primary educators of their children. The Theology of the Body Parent School equips parents to teach their children what is good and true about human sexuality at an age-appropriate pace. Founded in 2020, the curriculum is based on the Theology of the Body, Pope St. John Paul II's landmark writings on human sexuality. Through monthly magazines, the TOB Parent School also helps Catholic families learn about the dignity of life from from conception to natural death. Lindsay Karen founded the TOB Parent School. She joins us now to share more. Lindsay, thanks for being here. You're based in Portland, Oregon, and your team is made up of theologians, educators, parents, priests. So talk to me about what motivated you to start this school and draw from Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Sure. Thank you for having me. And um, I'd say that the journey started for me in my 20s when I was sucked into the culture and then um, really suffered because of that. Mm. And cut to, you know, a decade later when I had my own children, it had become so much worse so quickly. Um, And so we just started searching for answers and there wasn't anything exactly tailored to busy parents at home to do this. There's some really good curriculums for the schools, but we just saw a need And we gathered like-minded people to start uh, creating magazines to meet that need. Wow, yeah, you're certainly filling a gap. More than a million Catholic students returned to school just this week. So why is it essential that this education on identity and sexuality comes from parents in the home first? Um, Well, we know parents are the primary educator, and that's the way that it was always meant to be. And in the past probably 50 years, that role has slowly been stripped of parents. And 
I think that they don't feel confident taking it back. They mm. want to. And so what we're trying to do is put that tool right in their hand where we make it really easy. You know, they don't have to have a theology degree or even really understand TOB. They just get the magazine, they work through it with their child, and they're learning the theology side by side. Sure. So it helps equip them and empower them. I love that. And I'm curious for your take on this. Do you think educating children and adolescents about their sexuality is emphasized too much or not enough? Um, I'm curious about your take on that. Yeah, I think that um, the, the problem is educating about sexuality only in adolescence and those young years, because we want to still protect their natural innocence. So if instead you come at it from the whole truth of personhood, like John Paul II did, and you educate them on the dignity of the human person from you know, conception and everything that that entails. Sexuality is just a part of that. And then it falls in naturally and it doesn't have to be overemphasized. Mm. And Lindsay, how do you hope to expand the TOB parent school in the near future? Obviously, you're in Oregon, a, a very important place for something like this to, to, be up, to be available for parents. Do you expect that you'll go nationwide? Yeah, interestingly, um, we went nationwide probably before we grew locally. Um, and so we've sold magazines in 45 states already without really having started a marketing effort. And that's just wow. because of the power of word of mouth, really. Parents are hungry, so they're searching and they're finding us because there's not much else out there. So we don't have to do much for marketing. They find us, they buy the magazine, and then they share with people um, in their network. And as we know, the network is national right now, so it spreads very quickly and how we'll grow is we're going to be uh, creating cycles B and C right now. Cycle A is available to parents. And so there will be new and fresh cycles available this year and hopefully next. That's great to hear. When something is needed, it spreads like wildfire. Lindsay Karen mm -hmm. of the TOB Parent School, thank you so much for joining us today and for all the work that you're doing. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. And now your top pro-life headlines from the week. First up, here in Washington, D.C., on Tuesday, five pro-life activists were incarcerated after lengthy court proceedings in which they were found guilty of crimes of violence. Their violent crimes? Kneeling and praying on a sidewalk, handing out pro-life literature, and peacefully protesting abortion. The verdict says they violated the FACE Act back in 2020 at the Washington Surgical Clinic. Classified as violent people, the five activists have been incarcerated. They are now being held in a Northern Virginia jail and await sentencing. One of the defendants is Lauren Handy, who played a key role just last year in discovering the bodies of over hundreds of unborn children who had been killed by Cesare Santangelo at the same abortion facility at the center of this 2020 case, the Washington Surgical Clinic. Handy and her co-defendants could each face up to 11 years in prison and a $350,000 fine. Handy's lawyers at the Thomas More Society are preparing an appeal to the verdict. Teresa Bakovanak, founder of the progressive anti-abortion uprising, reacted to the guilty verdict, saying, Today this jury decided that it is illegal in the United States to peacefully protest infanticide. These rescuers were here to prevent Cesare Santangelo from murdering babies who were born alive. I know this because I held these babies in my hands. Lauren and I both saw them face to face. We have seen the brutality that this man is capable of. We'll keep you updated as this case develops. 
And an update from Ohio, where the pro-abortion group Ohioans for Reproductive Rights is challenging new language regarding the ballot amendment they will vote on in November. Officials in the state have approved language detailing the pro-abortion amendment that includes the term unborn child at least four times. Note that the term unborn child has not been added to the text of the amendment, but rather is being used to describe what the amendment would do. For example, the summary now reads that the amendment would, quote, always allow an unborn child to be aborted at any stage of pregnancy, regardless of viability. In the actual text of the amendment, the baby in utero is referred to as a fetus. Pro-abortion activists in the state say that the term unborn child is, quote, deceptive and misleading. Coming up, Planned Parenthood pushes its abortion agenda in classrooms across the nation. I speak out. Plus, more inspiration from the great Pope, a pro-life center named after St. John Paul II, provides life-affirming care and education. We bring you a special interview with the founders next. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to our program. As kids head back to school in the coming weeks, here's a warning about Planned Parenthood. They want in to your child's classroom. That's this week's Speak Out segment. Planned Parenthood calls itself the nation's largest provider of sex education. They reportedly reach 1.2 million teachers and students per year through their curriculum, which is aimed at perpetuating the need for abortion. And here's how we know that. For one thing, they say it outright on their website. Planned Parenthood offers teaching on, quote, sexual health, including birth control and abortion. And they seem to encourage young people to have sex however and whenever they want. The world's largest abortion provider has published curricula for K through 12 aged kids that teach, quote, sexual behavior, including the full spectrum of ways people choose to be sexual beings. They've also instituted programs in schools across the country focused on encouraging Encouraging gender dysphoria, planting ideas in young kids' heads about how they could be attracted to people of the same gender. Planned Parenthood also encourages sex ed taught by peers, that is, kids teaching kids about sex. What does this really mean? Likely, it means that your children will be exposed to explicit sexual content, and it could happen without you ever knowing about it. This only leads to more unprotected sex, unplanned pregnancies, and then, you guessed it, abortions that Planned Parenthood makes a profit from. In recent years, there's been a 30% spike in parents choosing to homeschool their children. It seems that might be the only way for parents to circumvent Planned Parenthood's efforts to make a buck at the expense of children. And a pro-life center in Austin, Texas, has been supporting moms and babies for 13 years. But it also goes one step further to educate the next generation on the science of life. Tim and Pat Von Dolan founded the John Paul II Life Center in October of 2010. Inspired by its namesake, the center provides life-changing care and teaches women natural family planning. They've also helped create pro-life education programs for nurses. We'll bring you more on that next week. But this week, the JP2 Life Center is launching A Glimpse Inside, a science-based program that teaches children about human development in utero. EWTN News President Monse Alvarado recently spoke to Tim and Pat about the center, this new program, and how education plays a major role in making abortion unthinkable. 
Tim and Pat Bondolan, it's so great to be with both of you in this wonderful occasion a year after Roe. And I say wonderful because you're on the ground. Before we get to what you're doing on the ground, though, let me just ask you about your love story. And Pat, I'm going to ask you this question because it's so remarkable. Remarkable. You wrote a book about it um, and you're sharing it with the world to give them hope. So that love story is complicated. It has some pain in it, but it's beautiful all the same. Tell me about it. Well, um, first of all, I've had three wonderful husbands and um, God has truly blessed me. Uh, I lost my first husband when I was 40 with two girls and then my second husband, maybe 15 years later, we were married a short time and he got cancer. And I thought, never again. I'm done, Lord, I'm done. I've done my wifely duty. And then a couple years later, I met this wonderful man and four months later after we met, we got married. Oh, wow. <laughs> a short courtship. You knew yeah. what you wanted. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it was, it was amazing. And wow. it's true. All of it was truly a God thing. Yeah. So uh, on our honeymoon, we, um, we came to California, Carmel and the wine country. And we were coming back across the Golden Gate Bridge. And in front of us said Daly City. And Tim had asked me, Daly City, isn't that where that crisis pregnancy place is? And I had asked him, I was not Catholic. Okay. So early on in our relationship, he told me, my Catholic faith is very important to me. He said, would you consider becoming Catholic? And I said, of course, no problem. What he didn't know was I was praying for my faith to just be, be increased. Wow. <laughs> Little did I know. That yes. our Lord was sending him <laughs> yes. to be a, a channel and a conduit yes. for that. That's beautiful. And, and I asked, okay, the Lord, the Catholic Church asked you to have these babies. Where is all the help afterwards? And Tim didn't take a breath. He said, well, we're going to do something about that. And with that, we came across the bridge. We visited this center. And that's where when it started on our honeymoon. That's beautiful. <laughs> and you say that's when it started. Tim, tell me about what it is that you created and what you have in Texas. So we, we knew it was time to do something. I didn't know for sure when we were going to start it. Uh, but when that happened in California and we went to the, it was actually a Seton clinic and we got the floor plan for what we wanted to do. The idea crystallized there. And, and when Pat really raised that question, I said, you know, the Catholic Church really does want there not to be abortions, but he, there, there needs to be more done after the baby's born, and we're going to do something about that. And that was really the start of a three-year process of, of getting all the pieces together to actually make it happen. And a wonderful couple, by the name of Chris and Sherry Danzy, joined us. And uh, we had a lot of ups and downs, and everything really happened in God's time, not ours. Uh, but it finally happened, and uh, we were able to work with uh, Seton Hospital in Austin, and uh, they were able to assist us in getting a physician that was NAPRO trained mm. uh, and, and a wonderful uh, individual who's still with us. And so what makes us unique uh, is that our, our model has on the same floor an entrance where women come to the Vitae Clinic and it's where people are happy. It's a really wonderful atmosphere uh, and, and the, they're joyous. 
uh, down the hall, we have the entrance for those who are abortion-minded, mm. and they come in. It's a little more somber, but then they come in and meet their client advocate, who then stays with them throughout their pregnancy if they choose to go to our center once they've seen the baby and decide they're going to protect and have the baby. And, and uh, most of those women, there's about 20% of the people we see don't have a physician, uh, don't have a way to pay for it. And so they, when they meet with the client advocate, they're, they're generally wanting to know, well, how far along am I in my pregnancy mm. uh, so that they can then go to Planned Parenthood and have an abortion. And, and so when our sonographer works with them, when our physician meets with them, uh, and they see this baby on a screen, uh, it's bigger than life, Yeah. 97% uh, choose life. Wow. And it's just remarkable. So uh, we, we do that from the medical perspective, uh, but then in addition to that, we have educational programs that we're developing, not just for Austin. We're much more than a, just a local pregnancy help center. Right. Uh, we, we touch base with people all across America and we're doing two particular programs. Uh, one we're calling A Glimpse Inside, and we actually take uh, young people, or people of any age, but uh, through the walk from conception to birth. Wow. And there are five short videos, and it's just amazing as we've tested it, and, and we're actually doing this in combination with uh, Charlie McKinney and uh, Sophia Press, uh, Sophia Sophia Press, Press. Yes. and Sophia Institute for Teachers, uh, and we hope to be in uh, over a thousand schools by next September. Wow, to teach this to, to them teach, as well. To, to, to let them see. We've got to start young. See real life. We've got to start young. We've got to get to the point where we don't even, abortion isn't even thought of, and until we educate young children, boys and girls, about their bodies young, so that they see a glimpse inside and they see that baby at six, six weeks, two months, three months. They see that baby and they know there's a baby growing in there. Mm -hmm. And it, it will change. It will change everything. So education is so important to us. Now, I mentioned in the beginning that we really are one year into a post-Roe reality where the states are making all of the decisions. You're in Texas, and in Texas, abortion laws, even though some of them are caught up in the states, really limit um, what, what people can do um, and how far along their children have to suffer through something like this, or whether it's legal for them to do so. Um, but, but you haven't stopped. We certainly haven't. Oh, no. Whether it's legal or not, it makes no difference. You're doing the work that you need to do. How has this changed for you? Well, that's, that's a wonderful question, and I'll just take you back just a little bit because uh, right after the Roe versus Wade decision, I was in the Texas legislature, and I had the, the opportunity to carry the first pro-life legislation that actually was to protect conscience rights and, and the uh, constitutional right of freedom of religion. Mm. And, and that has been, it's still a battle today. And so what has happened with the Dobbs decision and coming back to the states uh, we now have an opportunity to do things to solidify in Texas what I think the great majority of people believe. And Texas has been a pro-life state, and I could continue to believe that we're going to stay that way. But there's some real challenges. Uh, the pro-abortion community has learned to use the legal system better than we do. Mm. They've learned to play within the legislature sometimes better than we do. And, and so the battles are really there, and they're being fought state by state. 
And, and so the battle is not over. The battle really has just begun. Mm. And, and we need more people to be involved, to realize that uh, uh, it's up to the laity. Uh, when we look at the church, uh, the church does want things to be done well and consistent uh, with our beliefs. But it, it doesn't fall on the clergy to do that. It falls on the laity to do it. And so we call on people of goodwill, people of, uh, of faith and uh, men and women and young people uh, to get involved and to help the John Paul II Life Center be a shining light, uh, a beacon of hope. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you for what AWTN does. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, now X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.